God, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to kind of clear hearts and our heads of all distractions in this space. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your word and understand you better, understand our lives the way they were designed to be better. We pray that you would just speak to us this morning, encourage those who need encouragement, shake up those who need to be shaken up, help us all to see more of you, and uh, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we are in week two of our series, Finding Christmas in the Chaos. I don't know how chaotic your life has been, but mine has been plenty chaotic and uh, it's good to just stop and remember what this is all about. And this one is called, It's the Journey That Gets Me. It's the Journey That Gets Me. I don't know, have you ever heard things like this said? It's not the destination that matters, it's the journey. You ever hear some nonsense like that before? Somebody say, you should enjoy the journey as much as you enjoy the destination. You want to get real crazy, people, people will say like, the journey is the destination. You ever hear that kind of nonsense? Those kind of people have never road tripped with a bunch of kids. <laughs> Let me just clue you in. It's not a cakewalk. There's nothing pretty about the journey sometimes. Sometimes all you want to do is pull the car off the road and get out and walk and leave them all in it. <laughs> ever says those nice things it's kind of like Chris it's, it's an idealized statement it's a bumper sticker idealized kind of statement that we throw out there to make ourselves sound like smart or locked in with life or I'm not letting this moment pass me by I'm in it for the journey those kind of statements they don't work when the journey's a disaster and so is the destination like getting a flat tire on your way to the dentist <laughs> It's not fun, either of them. The journey sometimes can be terribly difficult. It can be terribly lonely. The journey of life, it can be terribly isolating. It can be painful. It's got all kinds of twists and turns and bumps and bruises that we're not expecting. And sometimes the destination we feel like we're heading to is just more of the same. It's not special. It's not helpful. It's not even hopeful. The journey and the destination sometimes can be painfully difficult. I remember I had to, um, when my grandfather passed away on my mom's side, they all, that whole side of the family was from Philly, which is why I have this like love-hate relationship with all Philly sports teams. I hate that I love them. I love them and I hate them. It's kind of all that comes from my mom's side of the family. And uh, I, I was doing his funeral. I had to do part of his funeral and speak, and I really wanted to get it right. He was a beloved man, and uh, I knew it was going to be emotional because he's my grandfather, because my aunts were all there, and all my cousins, and we're pretty close on that side of the family. It was a bit chaotic trying to get down to Philly in the traffic and then get to my aunt's house where our kids were going to be watched, uh, and then like head over to, through the traffic to this little church that my grandfather had invested his like, time and life into. And uh, it was chaotic trying to get through that traffic. It was a disaster. I'm dealing with all the emotions I have. I'm dealing with Jen telling me how to drive. <laughs> Love you, honey. And uh, I have 
I'm thinking about all the things I'm gonna say and all the things I gotta do and, and I'm dealing with all this kind of stuff and we're late to the funeral. Like we were supposed to be there at a certain time and we're late because of this crazy Philly traffic. We get there, we're rushing in and I'm like, where are my notes? I need my notes and I left my notes back at the house. So quickly, Jen's like, just go get them quick. I'll tell everybody they gotta wait, they gotta wait. My grandfather's funeral was delayed because I forgot my notes. I'm busting back and now to the house to grab my nose. There's even more traffic than there was to begin with. I'm like swerving in and out of side streets, like peeling out in this Tahoe and town, you know. Like if I see some kind of little electric car at this point, I'm just going to run it over. Hope I don't hurt anybody. I was, by the time I had gotten back, like the journey had me shook that I almost front-ended a huge oak tree pulling into my aunt's driveway. In a panic, I grabbed the notes. In a panic, I head back. The journey was not good, and the destination wasn't going to be fun either, and that's life sometimes. It's not like some idealized picture. The journey is so beautiful, and the destination so wonderful. Sometimes, even when you know you're going in the right direction, to the right place, the journey is still a mess, and the destination doesn't seem that exciting either. Sometimes when you're following God, and you're, you're trying to listen to his voice and follow his direction, even when you are following him well, the journey, it can be tough, and the destination seems lost. That's just... No different from Mary and Joseph. What I've found makes the journey is what you experience along the journey. My youngest, we, we, I used to head up to Maine every year with my brothers and my dad to do some fly fishing in the summer and uh, in the middle of nowhere up in Maine. It's just perfect, just no cell service. It's awful trip though it's like 12 hours to get up there and just the other day he said to me you know what my favorite road trip was um going up to Maine I said 12 hours in a car with me and your uncle was your favorite road trip he's like yeah I had the whole back seat <laughs> it's the first time he went on a real road trip where his sisters weren't sticking him in the middle you know he's a grown boy his legs are getting long and it was interesting it's what you experience on the it's what you experience along the journey that makes it Spoiler alert, as Christians, it's what you experience from your relationship with God while you're driving through this train wreck of life that makes it. It's the destination and the anticipation of what is to come for us that makes this journey bearable, that helps us pull joy out of the mess of life. It's, it's what you experience, God's presence and direction along the way. And it's what you can't anticipate, that your story doesn't end with suffering, it doesn't end with death, it doesn't end with this struggle that you are now locked in. It doesn't end with that diagnosis you got. Your story does not end with that financial trouble you find yourself in. It doesn't end with your bad decision. It doesn't end with your epic failures. You'll, you have a destination that is perfect, where your tears will turn to joy, where your heart will be healed, 
where there won't ever be any more brokenness and pain and betrayal. You see, what makes the journey is bearable is having him with you is what you experience. And it's knowing that there is something good waiting for you. Mary and Joseph had a terrible journey. Just awful. They're in Nazareth, right? And they're told that they have to go to Bethlehem because the Roman emperor has decreed that there's going to be a census to be taken. Now, this is all fulfilling prophecy in Scripture, but nonetheless, even that, though it's God's plan, it still had to be terribly annoying. Have you also gone anywhere with a person who is pregnant and nearing the end of their pregnancy? Like, I don't want to drive around. Like, I'm glad these days are over. I miss the little kids, but I'm really glad, like, those days of driving around trying to find an appropriate parking spot in a Walmart parking lot with my wife who's about to give birth any second. I'm really glad those days are over. (laughs) Here, Mary and Joseph are on a 70 to 90 mile journey in Luke chapter 2. Let me just read this passage and then we'll In Luke chapter 2, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Isn't that sound nice? Like the last time I heard that read, it was by some cute kid, their cute voice, at a microphone, at a church service somewhere, reading it all perfect and nice, this Christmas story. But though we want to dress it up, this journey was not an easy one. 70 to 90 miles on foot with a donkey and a wife who's about to give birth at any minute. That's a, that's a hike. There's... You gotta, they had to fight somewhere along. <laughs> Come, please, right? Like, I'm gonna ask someday, but there had to be, like, it couldn't have been all perfect and nice and good. They, they traveled this far to this little insignificant place. There was no, like, okay, now, Mary and Joseph, we got the message. God's gonna do something great. I had this incredibly spiritual moment, and then everything is going to be nice and perfect. Roll out the red carpet. We're coming to Bethlehem to give birth to the Messiah. Where's the parade? Where's the party? Where's the car? Nowhere. Like, even though they have relented and yielded to God's will, and they're trying to follow him, it's still painful and difficult, this journey. The destination left a lot to be desired. They get there, and there isn't even room for them. No room. God, couldn't you make it a little bit easier? I know this is your prophecy, 
700 years before this moment in the book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2, God said this was going to happen in Bethlehem. We know this is your plan, but couldn't you make it any easier? Like I pray that a lot. <laughs> Do you? God, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to do the best I can. Trying to be the man you want me to be. Like I I had this spiritual moment. I've yielded my life to you, but couldn't you just make it any easier? I think sometimes when I'm saying that, I have such a narrow view of my journey. Just looking at one leg of it. I'm not really seeing what God is doing around me. I'm not seeing how he's making me stronger. I'm not seeing how he's growing me into the person I need to be for the next chapter that is coming. I'm not seeing that he's using me to help other people. I don't know if Mary and Joseph had that picture, but he would be growing them through this journey because things are going to get hairier even than this for them in a little bit. I don't, I don't know if they could see it, but I wonder if they knew how he was using them and this trip and this moment, how he's strengthening them and their relationship for the challenges that would lie ahead. And I don't know if they see it. And I don't know if I see it. I'm not sure you see it either. Sometimes when we only can see the struggle and the pain and the difficulty, it's because that has sucked our attention in and we're just seeing that. But what if God was doing more in you and through you when the road of life is difficult and when the destination is a little lost on you? I love this journey to Bethlehem for a lot of reasons. And what I want to focus on now is a little bit of Bethlehem. I've never done this before, and I thought as I was preparing for this, I couldn't believe that I'd never really done a message that I've talked about Bethlehem at all. Bethlehem is very significant to us now, but it was extremely insignificant to them back then. What you have in Bethlehem is this little country hill town outside of Jerusalem, kind of a forgotten little, not even a suburb, just a spot on the map. In fact, there's two accounts in the Old Testament where they list towns of significance in Israel. And that's found in Joshua, and I forget the chapter, and there's one in Numbers, and I want to say it's 15, but that's probably wrong, so just scratch that right out from your memory. You'll have to do some research later. Two places where it listed. Bethlehem's not even listed it doesn't even count. It's like how many people are listing Cresona, right? Like in the significant towns in Pennsylvania. It's just not even, it's not even mentioned. This little town outside of Jerusalem, small, few people, hill country. So insignificant in people's eyes and yet something so significant, so great would happen through this town. Can I submit to you this? That the story of Bethlehem and its mark, its left on our world begins way before, way before Jesus 
even showed up. See, I love how God weaves these stories together and he weaves our stories. And we can just see a part of it, but he's always doing more. We only see the struggle, but God's always doing more than just the struggle. He's using it. We only see the suffering, but he's never wasting that. We only see what's right in front of us, but there's a whole bunch of things he has been doing before to get us here and he's doing to prepare us for what's next. God always is doing more than we can see. And Bethlehem reminds me of that. It was something great would happen here, but something great had already been brewing here. I don't know if you remember the story of Naomi. Her story is found in the book of Ruth, and it's an incredible story, and it's a short book. You could read the whole thing probably in half an hour. It's, it's an amazing story, but it's one of, full of heartache and pain. The story in the book of Ruth starts out with Naomi taking her two sons and her, well, her two sons and her husband and her were leaving Israel because of famine and they were going to find food and shelter. As they're on this journey, to make a long story short, Naomi first loses her husband. It's an incredible loss. But she still has her two sons and her two sons are now married. But then all of a sudden, tragedy hits Naomi's life again, and her two sons are lost. They're, they're killed. Naomi is left with her daughter-in-laws, though they loved her dearly, and they were much closer than kind of a normal daughter-in-law, mother-in-law relationship. Naomi couldn't see that. All she could see was her tremendous heartbreak and loss. I wonder what she thought about her journey wonder what kind of questions she was asking with God. We moved to try to find food for our family, and now my family's dead anyway. Her daughter-in-laws love her so much, they're weeping with her, dealing with their own loss of their husbands, but also dealing with just this terrible tragedy together. Ruth tries to send them away, and, or sorry, Naomi tries to send them away, and they argue with her, and then eventually Naomi convinces her one daughter-in-law to go back to be with her family, but Ruth, her other daughter-in-law, refuses, and she says, wherever you go, I'm going. Whatever happens to you is going to happen to me. I'm not leaving you. She gives this like tremendous uh, and powerful speech, and in their grief, they wander back to where Naomi was from and where her family was from. Bethlehem. They get back to Bethlehem and Ruth meets Naomi's relative Boaz. It was the time of the harvest and they were farmers like most people were in Bethlehem. So they were out harvesting and Naomi and Ruth are helping and Ruth meets Boaz and eventually they fall in love and are going to have a baby. In Ruth chapter 4, Naomi, who's still grieving and recovering from all this loss, she's got some friends now, and these women gather around her and they say this in this very prophetic moment, trying to encourage their friend, her, their friend Naomi with the birth of her grandson. They say this, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. You still have a guardian redeemer. Your journey has been full of brokenness and pain. It's been extremely difficult. Destination seems meaningless. You've been struggling through this last chapter of your life, full of depression and heartache and 
fear and anxiety. Isn't it interesting that in this prophetic word given to Naomi, it says, he has not left you without a guardian redeemer. And then it goes on in this prophetic word. They thought they were just talking about this baby who was about to come, but this is about Jesus too. It says, may he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Ruth had given birth to Obed. Obed is the grandfather of King David. Through all of her brokenness, Naomi's story would point to Bethlehem and Jesus. What's interesting is Obed has his grand, has his family and does his thing, and next thing you know, uh, He's the father of Jesse, and Jesse has a bunch of sons, and I don't know how familiar you are with these stories or how much Sunday school time you have clocked in at, but King da- the, the story, the, see what else happened in Bethlehem is Samuel went to Bethlehem to appoint a king to find the next king of Israel. It's this incredible story. Samuel rolls up and tells Jesse, like, God has sent me here to appoint the next king. And uh, he's, bring all your sons. So um, Jesse gathers almost all of his sons and lines them up. And as Samuel's approaching, he sees these sons. He's like, that one has got to be it. Look at, he's a strapping young man. He looks kingly, whatever that means. This has got to be the guy. And God, like, hits pause for him for a second and says, wait, wait, you don't understand, Samuel. Man looks at that stuff. God looks at the heart. That's not him. He goes down the line, and every time it's like, that's not him, and that's not him. And Samuel, frustrated, says, Jesse, man, is this all that you have? And Jesse says, no, there's this son that we left in the field. We didn't think he would be significant enough for you to appoint the next king. He's tending the sheep. Samuel is so upset about this that he says, we're not sitting down. Nobody sit down. Go get him and bring him back here. We're not sitting until he comes. David, they go get David from the field. They bring David back. And he, as soon as Samuel sees him, he anoints, anoints him and says, this is the one the Lord has chosen to be king. He's found in Bethlehem. It's not the only time someone would go to Bethlehem looking for a king. You see, A long time ago, this guy named Daniel was taken captive by the Babylonians. Daniel's journey is jacked up. (laughs) He's going through all this kind of like heartbreak of being taken from his family, but yet he's faithfully serving God and living for him. He's put through all these kind of challenges and trials and he's interpreting dreams and as he's going through life in this foreign country as essentially a slave in this foreign land as foreign kingdom he's being promoted because of how he's serving the lord and the space he's in his journey is a nightmare but he's got god with him in it and he's just trying to do what god says and in daniel chapter 2 he gets promoted up to be the head of this group of people that we now know as the Jedis of the Persian Empire, the Magi. Sound familiar? Daniel took these wise men, his scriptures. Matthew chapter 2, and we don't have time to go through 
this whole journey, but in Matthew chapter 2, we, get, we see the picture of these magi, these wise men. Numbers 24, they would have read and studied these, these, this group of men who studied the sky and religion and philosophy, and they studied like everything, these really wise people of the Persian Empire. Daniel had taken them a gift of the scriptures, and though he was in captivity, he was faithful to the word of God, and they had studied this verse in Numbers 24 and verse 17. It says, I see him prophesying about Jesus, but not now. I behold him, but not near a star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. They would have studied Micah 5.2, talking about the king coming, the Messiah coming from Bethlehem. And these wise men, having studied the word that was, the seed that was planted by Daniel, would make this journey to Bethlehem to discover a king. Seems so insignificant journey seems so rough. But God was weaving this story together. And Bethlehem is called the house, the name actually means house of bread. That's super creative. You better have some good bread in your town if you're going to name your town the house, house of bread. And in John 6, 33, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Bethlehem was where they would raise the lambs that they would take to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice in the temple for the covering of their sins. And when John the Baptist in John chapter 1, 29 saw Jesus for the very first time, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. This little Bethlehem, this journey, this difficult journey to an insignificant place. But yet God was doing something so incredible. And now today, everybody knows Bethlehem. Everybody knows what happened in this incredible town. The story that God was weaving through Mary and Joseph's pain and hardship. The story God was weaving through Naomi's pain and loss. The story he was weaving through Daniel's captivity and hardship. The story that would all point to Jesus, the Savior of the world. I think there's some takeaways from Bethlehem. Obviously, the big one is Jesus. This, the things I take away from Bethlehem is that nothing is insignificant in God's design for life. You may feel insignificant. 
your place of work, you may feel like your place of work is insignificant, what you're doing with your life is insignificant, the difference you can make in somebody else's life is insignificant, but it's all a bunch of lies. You see, in God's economy, in the kingdom, there is nothing and no one that is insignificant. In this little forgotten place of Bethlehem, in this little forgotten place of Cresona, of Schuylkill Haven, of Pottsville, wherever you're from, whatever your life looks like, you are never insignificant to God. You are so significant. He wants to weave your story into something beautiful. There's nothing insignificant about you. The second takeaway I have is that God can bring good out of the bad stuff in life. Only he can. Through Naomi's great loss, he brought the good of Obed. Through Daniel's captivity, he brought the good of the wise men, pointing to Jesus, who would be the first ones to whisper the name of Jesus in the Gentile world. From the pain of Mary and Joseph's journey, brought the good of Jesus. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, Joseph, another guy whose journey looked extremely painful, but God would do something magnificent. He was sold into slavery because his, je- his brothers were jealous of him. Eventually, his brothers and his father would come back. They thought he was dead, but they would come back before him as he got promoted up through the Egyptian empire and was in charge of all the stocks of food throughout the kingdom to help the people survive famine. They come to him for food and and he replies to them, them in grace, and he says, you intended it for harm, but God intended it for good. In Romans 8.28, it says that he works in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Like, God will bring good out of your journey. He will draw good out of the bad stuff. All, he'll, he'll pull good all of the, all, out of all the things we intend to hurt each other, all the painful stuff we go through. He will bring good. Nothing can thwart his plan. Nothing. Job 42.2, at the end of that story of great loss for Job, he declares in his conversation with God, I know that you can do all things. Nothing can thwart your plan. No empire can thwart his plan. No pain can thwart his plan. That diagnosis can't thwart his plan for your life. That betrayal can't thwart his plan for your life. Your failure can't thwart his plan for your life. That that rebellion can't thwart his plan for your life. Nothing can thwart his plan for your life. And his plans for your life are good. They're good. And then last... God is with you, and he will direct your steps. Mary and Joseph give birth to Jesus, and they're there, and the wise men had warned them that Herod was doing some nasty stuff. The wise men go back a different route to kind of protect Jesus from Herod finding out where he is, and an angel comes to Joseph and says, now's the time. Herod is gonna kill all of the babies about the age of Jesus to try to kill this future king that was coming for Jerusalem. 
And so Joseph, with instruction from God through that dream, he takes Mary and Joseph and he leaves for Egypt and the Bethlehem story for the time being is over as they're going to hide out until Herod is dead. He will guide your steps and give you direction. And there is nowhere you can go on this journey where he is not with you. It's what you experience on the journey and it's what you anticipate about the destination that makes it all bearable and good. And as people who follow this King Jesus, what you experience on the journey is that you have him with you always and no matter what. And what you can anticipate about your destination is that it does not end with struggle or pain or hardship. It does not end with death or in ruin. It ends in a place where your mourning will be turned to joy, where every tear will be wiped away, where your heart will be healed and made whole, where you will bask in the beauty of God in this place we call heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you use the insignificant like Bethlehem to do the amazing and miraculous. Thank you that the stories you weave for us are, go far beyond what we can see or understand. Help us to see that you are doing something in us and through us that if we could see it all, it would blow our minds. Nothing is wasted in your economy. You will bring good out of the hardship and the bad. Your plans cannot be thwarted. We love you and we're so thankful. So thankful for what we celebrate. We're so thankful that no matter what our journey looks like, we have you with us in the middle of it. We have a hope found in a destination no one can steal from us. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.